morning crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto. Mario, also known as the Node Defender, is joining us. And we have a very special guest joining today's show, a self-proclaimed utility maxi known for her in-depth analysis about the future of finance and a proud member of the XRP community. Molly Elmore is in the building, ladies and gentlemen, so I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how the future of finance has arrived with BlackRock, JP Morgan, and other trillion-dollar institutions beginning to leverage tokenized assets. As Cardano's founder, Charles Hoskinson, outlined the war between crypto and CBDCs, stating this issue is already in effect for 1.2 billion people worldwide. And with the largest financial firms on the planet in the process of turning digital, we break down the details, showing our community how this next bull run is shaping up to be the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Johnny Crypto, we got a bunch of great news prepared for today. And obviously, we have a very special guest. But first of all, how are you feeling, my friend? And thank you for being here. Absolutely. Always great to be six feet above ground. Good morning to all the Warrior Maniacs out there. We love and appreciate you for showing up every single day. And Abs, I'm super excited. Not only do we have Mario, who's going on, I don't know, like a 37-day fast. We've got Molly here, too. I can't wait to hop into it. It's an exciting day. We've got some great news, so let's roll. Mario, I'm excited to have you, my friend. And Johnny brought it up, so I got to mention it as well. 62 hours into a 72-hour fast. How are you feeling this morning? Thanks for being here. Yes, good morning, everyone. I'm feeling okay. Like, I was feeling a little, uh, like, kind of dizzy this morning, a little bit weak. I'm um, currently 62 hours in, so n- not 37 days, Johnny, 62 hours. Yeah, but, uh, 37, but I'm feeling, 37, you know, it's all close. Yeah, but I think my body's starting to kick in, and and so I'm. this is my first time ever, so I'm excited to see the the the, uh, the benefits of it. But nonetheless, excited to meet Molly, uh, excited to be on with, with Johnny and Abs and everybody in the chat, so let's do this. Awesome, Molly, and we're excited to have you here as well. But first of all, the news articles are perfect for today's episode. We're talking JP Morgan, BlackRock. We got some XRPL tokenization news. How are you feeling? And thanks for joining the show. This is your first time on. We're very excited to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk about tokenization, what's going on in the world with the future of money and wherever else this conversation takes us. And it's not Conspiracy Fridays, guys, but Molly, if you watch the show, we like to get into a little conspiracy talk as well. So I'm sure that will come up throughout the episode. And we're going to get this thing started the same way we always do by checking out the Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go follow for updates throughout the day. When we look at some of the daily movers, my goodness, Johnny, Hex token up about 18% on the day. HBAR is up 3%. Lick up about half a percent. The rest of the market fairly red across the board. When we look at the total coin market cap this morning, we are sitting at 1.08 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 51% dominance. Ethereum is about 17%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 28,200. Ethereum, 1571. XRP is back below 50 at 49 cents this morning. And Cardano trading for a quarter. And Johnny Crypto, there's a lot of great news that we're going to get into today, but I'd love to start with the tokenization aspect of this market and how right now, it is going a fundamental shift. And Molly, I'm kicking it to you right after this video. Okay. Fidelity, you know, we, these are huge players that are looking to get an approval of a, of a Bitcoin spot ETF. Larry Fink was on TV yesterday and said that crypto, didn't say Bitcoin, he said crypto is a flight to quality alongside U.S. treasuries and gold. 
and that that's what it's going to be viewed as. People seem to have missed in the fact that they applied for a Bitcoin spot ETF that in their last yearly investment letter, Larry Fink and BlackRock went on a very long tirade about the future of finance being tokenization and tokenizing assets and everything trading digitally. We just saw BlackRock settle the first transaction on JP Morgan Onyx, which was a tokenized mutual fund sent to Barclays Bank. So Molly, he threw a lot of information out there. And first of all, guys, we got 223 live listeners joining us. Show us some love, smash that like button. And thank you for being here on this Wednesday. Molly, what he underlined there is a fundamental shift in how institutions are interacting with crypto. He didn't talk about Bitcoin. In the past, they've referred to all cryptos as Bitcoins. He talked about cryptocurrency. So later on in the show, we're going to talk about how people are going to profit off of this news. But initially, what was your reaction? What do you feel about the future of tokenization and BlackRock being involved? I think what's most interesting is that the story is changing, the story that is being fed via the media. I'm not so sure that any of Larry Fink's personal opinions at this point have have changed, but it was very clear that in the past couple of years, they really wanted to scare retail out of crypto, make it seem shady. I even used this word crypto a lot, which has now gotten kind of a connotation around speculation and even sort of some scamminess. And so I think we're going to see the conversation shift toward blockchain, uh, towards distributed ledger technology, digital assets, and tokenization, words that don't have the same kind of connotation. And that's going to shift everybody. But I think the sad reality is that for a lot of retail investors who were looking to make some money, like we're getting to the point where it might be too late because once the talking heads have endorsed this, it means that they've already stocked up and filled their bags before the nice pump comes. Molly, you know what's really interesting? Me and Johnny Crypto often draw the correlation between the Amazon price chart and the cryptocurrency market today. And when you look at the correlation, it is 1998 for the cryptocurrency market. What does that tell our listeners, right? We're early, but we're going to have to be patient, right? And that's what, Johnny, I'd like for you to elaborate on before we continue. Well, that's right. Back in 1998, ABS was in diapers and Amazon was getting ready to take off, right? And so <laughs> what we're seeing is exactly what Yosko said when we had him on the show. When these guys want to buy something, they're not going to come out and tell you they want to buy it. They FUD the shit out of it. And you've seen FUDing for the past two years. As we talked about yesterday, ads, they're already in position. I mean, who do you think was buying Bitcoin at 15000 Who was holding the floor? BlackRock was buying it. They own it at fifteen. JP Morgan owns it at fifteen. These guys are all in. They've got their bags packed and they're ready to roll. That's why you're hearing the narrative change. Two years ago, Fink wasn't talking about this thing is the greatest thing in the flight to safety. He wasn't calling. In fact, that mean, and, and, and your boy Diamond over there was saying, if you buy Bitcoin, I'm going to fire you, right? And now all of a sudden, while they were buying it, while they were scaring everybody, now they're getting ready. I agree with Molly 100%. They're finally in the zone. They know it's coming. And why do you think you're starting to hear the narrative? Oh, everybody. Because first of all, there was probably a point where maybe they weren't sure if this thing was real or not. But remember, think. $10 trillion asset manager, they got their ears as close to any clients. If their clients are saying, hey, we want this, of course they're going to set it up and make money off this thing. And they know that blockchain technology is here to stay. They know the technology isn't going anywhere. And now they're going to have an opportunity to make a shit ton of money growing cryptocurrency as a 12th, you know, as, as O'Leary likes to call it, the 12th sector of, of the economy. There's no doubt about it, Abs, we're coming. Now, what's great about it is look at that chart. We're in the very, we're in the very, very beginning of it. We're so early, and that feels late. I know, but the pro, the and the, and the good thing for all of us is we understand and know what we're in. But most of the retailers have no clue, and they're not going to buy Bitcoin at fifteen. 
They're not going to buy it at 25. You know when they're going to buy it? They're going to buy it and when it's 100 or 110 and the world is telling them it's going to 150 and that's the time to get out because they're just going to listen to whatever CNN or Fox tells them. And right now, you're starting, you're starting, you're starting to get little glimpses of the narrative changing. This is probably the last opportunity to start grabbing crypto, you know, while it's still, I think, in these early phases. And Molly, I did hear what you initially said, too. You said when the talking heads start talking, it might mean we're too late. What I've been saying right now is this. BlackRock and JP Morgan are finally ready to profit off of this technology. They wouldn't be talking about it on CNBC if they didn't already have their horses in the race and were ready to make a move. Here's what concerns me a little bit. Is the use of public blockchains necessary? And I feel like you're probably the perfect person to address this question. There's been a lot of speculation, and we know the answer to this. Is the value of XRP on a private ledger the same as a public ledger? David Schwartz says yes. And tokenized assets are going to play a role in the increase in XRP's price over time. So I'd like to hear your opinion. Do you think that public blockchains are necessary for assets to be tokenized? Because we know JP Morgan, they're doing it on a private blockchain. I think there's going to be uses and applications for both. Uh, I think that if you are a private company and you're issuing your own assets that you want to sell to the public, you would probably need to do that on an accessible blockchain. Also, if sovereign nations are going to issue their own currencies and you need your people to use it, I mean, you're going to have to have that accessibility. Um, I think there are going to be some situations though where people don't want their transactions to be public. And so they would want that private blockchain. Like, if, again, if you were a company and you were interacting on a blockchain with your suppliers, just as a made up example, you might not want all of those transactions to be available to everybody. Uh, so I don't know if there's going to be an extreme, like all everything's public or everything's private. There's probably going to be a mix and a blend of use cases. Well, there's one thing I, I wanted to add about this uh, parallel to the 1998 internet economy is that I was deep in the internet industry back then. And there was a lot of companies making a lot of noise during that time who no longer exist. So one thing to be careful of is that many of the early entrants into a market, including the sort of digital assets slash crypto world, they might not survive just because they're around now. So use some real uh, discernment to, to see like, are these digital assets and the companies that are behind them actually solving real world problems, or are they just kind of part of this early wave because they may be the pets.com that you no longer want to have stock on that way back then seemed like they were legit brands and they were going to last, but they did not. You know, what's fascinating, Molly, is I was actually looking at the 2017 bull run a couple of days ago and the top 10 was shocking. There was four or five currencies in the top 10 that I didn't even recognize and this is something that we do every single day. So it shows just how quickly this market can change. I'm sure there's projects in the top 10 today that will cease to exist completely, possibly Solana, guys. We got 330 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. I want to say thank you to Molly for joining the show this morning. One of the biggest questions we've had about the crypto market is, are we going to need regulation before we get mass adoption, Molly? And that's what I was waiting to play at the end of this video is the fact that the SEC may not even be necessary for the tokenization of assets to happen in the USA. Which was a tokenized mutual fund sent to Barclays Bank. This is happening with or without the SEC, and these players are more powerful than the SEC. Some people say, you know, there's a joke that it's the judicial exec prop, fidelity, you know. With so you heard it there, Johnny. These players, they're more important than the SEC. $10 trillion is how much BlackRock is managing in assets. That doesn't include Citibank. JP Morgan, Barclays, all these other bigwigs in the industry, they're all getting excited about crypto and they're all making public announcements. What do you think? Is the SEC going to have to move or is this getting done without Gary Gensler? 
no, this cannot get done without the SEC because you know why. These institutions, while they have a shit ton of money sitting on the sideline and they want to invest, they've already said that if these BTC ETFs get approved, there's one, two, three percent or points that they want to put in, but they're not going to do it until it's because most of these large firms, their number one thing is risk management. They're always looking at how do you manage risk and ensure you're, you know, you're not. So they're not going to put something in that they can potentially get sued on if, the, if it's not approved by the SEC. Why do you think this Bitcoin ETF is huge? And don't forget, BlackRock gets what BlackRock wants. They're going to get this ETF. It's going to happen. And that's going to open the floodgates then for all the other BTC ETFs. And then you're going to see all that money flooding in. And at that point, it's going to be too late to get into Bitcoin. Or, or you know, or who knows? Maybe in all coins at some point if you wait too long. So now's the time. You know, we have like one last chance, I feel anyway, in my opinion, I'm not financial advisor, it's not financial advice, but to really start DCing in if you haven't already, because once that floodgate opens up and the whole world and mom and pop and the guys down the street are telling you, oh, yeah, you got to buy Bitcoin. It's too late. So right now it's great. Everybody still tells me it's a scam. I'm like, Johnny, why are you in crypto? It's a scam. I'm like, thank you for saying that. The more they think it's a scam, the more I'm buying right now. Right. Because you know how it works. It's just a simple equation of supply and demand. And once there's no more money to come in, it's over. But right now, there's a shit ton of money waiting to come in. But I don't think a lot of that is going to come in until we get that SEC approval. So we're going to need something from the SEC saying it's okay. And once it is, yes, you'll see those institutions start coming in. And if we get regulation, that's going to make it even better. But, you know, Congress moves at a snail space. Who knows when we're going to get that? Yeah, and I want to add, like, I think at this point, for me personally, I feel like it is going to happen regardless of the SEC. And what I mean by this is we already have a, a precedent decision on, on XRP. And so now going forward, crypto tokens kind of know how to operate. As long as they operate within within the, uh, the like what came out of the SEC ruling uh, with XRP, they know that they, uh, they, they're, you know, allowed to, to move forward. So I think that gives it, that in itself already gives it a, a lot of clarity moving forward. And we know that the SEC has just been operating from a standpoint of they need to enforce the current laws and the current laws don't apply to cryptocurrencies. So I think there is going to be a shift sooner rather than later as far as Congress and and uh, regulation in the U.S. And I think that will, uh, along with everything else that's that, that's happening, I think that will create a shift in the sentiment. And, you know, next as early as next year, with all these things that are starting to unravel, we, we we will definitely get a feel for 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 a different sentiment in the market. Well, Mario, are, are you yeah, saying, Mario? Are you saying that you think institutions are going to put money into Bitcoin before they get SEC approval? I think the institutions, especially the big ones, I think they know exactly what's going on behind the scenes. Um, I think that they have way too much influence. I mean, we know how these things work. Um, I mean. I, I just can't grab, grasp my head around them not knowing what's happening behind the scenes. And so for that reason, I think that there are things that are already happening. You know, Larry Fink coming out and saying that crypto is this next best thing is uh, a sign of that. And is it too late? I mean, it was uh, is, is it late for us that we missed the, the Bitcoin? Was it when it was sent? Yes. But is it late when we take into consideration the tokenization of assets and how much how many trillions of dollars that's going to be? then no, I don't think we're late. Hmm. Molly, I'd like to hear. Yeah. I agree that these large financial institutions are probably in the 
more control than we like to believe and that they are not waiting for the SEC to tell them anything. If anything, the SEC works for them. We've seen through the Eastgate conspiracy that there's a lot of shadiness going on behind that institution, at least as it currently exists. I think we are going to see regulation, which is the role of Congress, but I also believe we might see this sort of organized crime syndicate, also known as the U.S. government, take its fall before those regulations are really kind of put into place. Um, we've, we've been going through quite an awakening the last couple of years to expose a lot of the corruption within our government, which is very sad and discouraging. Uh, so I think there's going to be a major shift in the tectonic plates before we kind of emerge with regulation, a system based in integrity, and a way for people around the world to kind of leverage from this new tokenization trend. Molly, there's an old saying in the Italian mafia, as Johnny Crypto likes to say, money talks and BS walks. But this is what we're talking about with the crypto market. Vanguard and BlackRock collectively own nearly 40% of the S&P 500. When you just consider who owns the stocks, who controls these companies, now that that much liquidity is excited about the crypto market, when do you think we're going to see an impact? I'm going to play a Stuart Alderati clip after your response. One thing I find fascinating, just to sort of digress a little bit, is that if you own that many resources or manage that many resources like a BlackRock or State Street or Vanguard, and you're going to encourage your clients, basically all the people who have put money into these funds, a huge number of sort of 401k IRA type investments are held in those. If you don't know who the creator of Bitcoin is, who really is Satoshi Nakamoto, are you like liable for that? Like, is there like an obligation you have to make sure that it isn't some, you know, North Korean terrorist or some other entity that could be labeled as like a national security threat or something along those lines? So I, I also wonder if we're going to learn the truth about the founders of Bitcoin and their story before the green light for a lot of these fiduciaries to move into it. Uh, otherwise, I think it could be make the story quite interesting when that comes out and everybody's money's already in Bitcoin. Johnny Crypto, I saw you shaking your head. You got to have a response, my friend. I don't think we're ever going to know who they are. You're never going to know. Nobody's going to. They're not going to tell you. That's the problem. Is who Who's going to tell you? It isn't believable because we know whatever they tell you isn't true. So I'm, I'm not so sure we'll ever find out who they are. And I'm not so sure it's going to matter because. If CNN and Fox and everybody starts coming out talking about, oh, Bitcoin's the next best thing since sliced bread. It's digital gold, this and that. And people are flooding into it. It's just how people work. They're like sheep. Bah! They're all going to start flooding into it and they're going to buy it. And, and I think you're going to see Bitcoin skyrocket. But I do agree with Molly. There has to be some entity that needs to be responsible for, for what is it. You know, Dan Pena says, if you know who made Bitcoin, you never invest in it. There is some truth there, but I'm I'm just not so sure we're ever gonna know. I mean, you see it. Everybody thinks it's you know NSA. They think it's David. Shit. Some people even said it's me, which is hilarious, right? It's a, nobody has a clue, and I'm not sure we're ever gonna find out what it is. But who knows? So Molly, what is your conspiracy, or where does your mind go when you think about the founding of Bitcoin? Obviously, people like Gary Gensler have given it a free pass. They talked about the decentralization aspect, but the whole idea that this was a gift from God that came out of nowhere. I don't necessarily buy it, especially when people like Larry Fink are now endorsing the technology. So what does your conspiracy mind say about the founders of Bitcoin? Who is Satoshi from your perspective? So I'm a believer that there are four Satoshis, which we learned about from Department of Homeland Security, that they actually went out to California to meet with the four Satoshis. Uh, I think that these four Satoshis are kind of part of the Silicon Valley PayPal mafia type crowd. 
obviously very skilled in understanding money, blockchain technology, how to use that technology to move value very, very quickly. Now, I'm of the theory that one of those people died, which is why that wallet cannot be accessed and it like essentially is lost value if they had kind of a smart contract type thing set up where all four multi-sig people had to sign to access the funds and one of those people is no longer available. What does that mean? Now, I don't think the other three people are like living on skid row, uh, destitute, because I think they all have, are very abundantly wealthy. And it's possible that that value will never be unlocked or released because of that issue. Mario, what are your thoughts on this topic? Yeah, I mean, I was just, I'm thinking more along the lines of like how everything has been playing out. Right now, the US government sits on a very large number of Bitcoin. So I guess we could consider the US government also a whale when it comes to, to Bitcoin holdings. But um, I think, I mean, I agree with, I agree with what, uh, what was said as far as, you know, what if it's somebody nefarious, uh, North Korean terrorist, and I think that that's always going to be a risk. And so if these companies are really going to move forward and, and like Molly was stating, offer Bitcoin as a solution or as an investment thesis to their clients, what do they know? Because if there's always that risk that there is a, a nefarious person that could at some point do something to damage that asset, then I can't help but think that they must know something in order to feel comfortable uh, you know, presenting it to their clients. That's how I feel about it. So Molly, there's one person who's actually addressing this. Do you know who John McAfee is? And is that one of your founders that you believe? I that? know who John McAfee is. Uh, I'm not so sure John McAfee's dead, uh, but no, it's not who I think. I think Hal Finney's the one who died. I'm not familiar with Hal Finney. I know the name, but I don't know the backstory. McAfee, I was a huge fan of. Right before he passed away, he got my attention. I can't remember what went down, but there was some headline that came around that summer and McAfee took the world by storm just before he passed away. But Molly, we got 440 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Let's talk a little bit about the Ripple IPO because this was circulating on Twitter over the weekend. Exciting news as Ripple recently hired or is looking to hire a shareholder communications senior manager. And I made the assumption here, no background, but if you're hiring a shareholder communication manager, you're probably gearing up for an IPO. So Molly, I wanted to get your opinion. Obviously, we all believe Ripple's going to IPO. When do you think that's going to take place? It's a great question. I mean, it, there's definitely been a lot of breadcrumbs showing us that this is the path that they are on. I mean, they've been selling private equity for a while. Uh, Link to is, you know, very often publicly speaks about the ramping up and the, the preparation that it looks like for Ripple to go public. What I find amusing about this is, you know, the SEC has to approve IPOs, right? And Ripple and SEC are hardly BFF at this point. So I don't know if, if, that would really affect anything, but I think it makes this sort of soap opera drama between Ripple and the SEC a little bit more amusing. Well, let's talk a little bit about the escrow too while we're here. The Ripple escrow for a long time has been debated. Does Ripple own it? Is it pre-allocated? What are your conspiracies or what, what do you know about the escrow that many of our listeners may not? So my understanding of the escrow is it's kind of like an options agreement where they have promised the sale of these assets to particular entities like a country or a bank at a specific price. Uh, and so in some capacity, you could say, if I have promised to sell you something and I'm contractually obligated to do that, that I kind of technically don't own it anymore because I no longer have the right to sell it to someone else. Uh, so while I think the escrow is being kind of technically managed, 
by Ripple, I don't know if you could say that those assets are still owned by them if they've been promised in a legal agreement to other entities to buy them. John in crypto, I don't know if you had a comment. I just wanted to check. Did you have a comment on the escrow? I think at the end of the day, it's going to be depend on when, when it's released. Do they profit from it or not? If they do, then it would count towards what their valuation is going to be. If it doesn't, then no, it isn't going to count and it won't matter. So I'm just I'm not so sure how when it's released, you know, let's say if they so if they're contractually obligated, let's say to sell it at a dollar, right? And it's at 10 cents. Well, who who keeps that 90? If that goes to them, then they would gain that valuation, right? So um, but I think that's what's going to matter. And if it is obligated a dollar, then most likely that would mean to be valued and their books at a dollar, and that would be its valuation. So let's say it went to 10, it wouldn't matter because if they're obligated to sell that one, that's all they're going to be able to keep of it. So um, I, would, I, I would be confident that the price has definitely been agreed upon. And it's possible that the funds to make those purchases are already locked up in some kind of escrow account. Yeah. So functionally, it's sort of all really been set up. They're just waiting for a flip the switch type moment for, for that to happen. So you believe or you have an understanding that there's contracts between Ripple and pre-allocated accounts, and those have already been accounted for, basically? They're just waiting for release dates? That's my understanding. Brad Kimes has done a lot of stuff, research into the escrow account. Uh, I, I think what it means, though, to me is that I don't know if Ripple's really looking to make money off of it as much as they have this exchange. They want all this value to be moved via their ODL marketplace or its new name that it has. And nobody that's not going to work unless all of these entities around the world have this asset and are want to use it. So they need to kind of get adoption going by promising this asset XRP to all of these entities at a, at a good price so that they'll be excited to come in and use it. I mean, it's, it's like a giant farmer's market, right? If there's no vendors there and nobody shows up, it's kind of a crappy market. But if everybody's really excited and they've agreed to go to this market and now that all of these participants who are going to buy and sell are, are planning to show up at a certain time, then the marketplace will be more likely to thrive. I want to ask one quick follow-up before we go into more tokenization involving the XRPL. Molly, one of the things that I've wondered for a long time is there's always a natural migration into better technologies, right? Moving from the traditional financial system into Ethereum, it's a huge step forward for the industry. But when you move into the best products, that's what I think will inevitably happen, right? MySpace died and Facebook rose. The iPhone dominates Samsung. I think that over time, we're going to see blockchains like Hedera, Algorand, uh, Stellar, XRP. We talk a lot about XRP, so just to throw a couple others out there. Quant Network is another one that we see huge success with. Really, when do you think the migration into the best technologies will begin? We often talk about utility. We talked about it in 2021. People thought it was happening in 2017. If we get a utility run in 2025 where banks and financial firms are leveraging crypto technology, it's really going to be about a move into the best technologies. Do you see that happening in 2025 or do you see that happening much further out? I think the word best technology is a little bit subjective. I think what's going to happen with adoption is the best networks. Who's got the best relationship set up? Who's getting the most usage and adoption? If you think about Amazon is a perfect example of like a massive network that connects a ton of buyers and a ton of sellers. Is Amazon's website like the technically best website possible? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know if it really matters as long as it addresses all of the needs of the market participants and there isn't too much friction, like it's too slow or it's buggy or whatever. So XRP has proven, XRP Ledger, that it, it runs flawlessly. It's not ever been down. There's no discrepancies with 
transactions not being accurately recorded. So for, for that purpose, like it's the best technology to solve the problem of matching up all of these buyer and sellers to exchange value very, very quickly, very inexpensively. So I don't know what you could really do to improve that at this stage, because it it's going to solve a very painful and necessary problem kind of once the adoption starts. Here's my concern. With everything that we've seen out of Ethereum and EthGate, particularly in the U.S., I'm worried that Ethereum has that, I guess, network leg ahead. Like we know that XRP and the XRPL is built for banks, but what we're seeing with Ethereum and the Onyx blockchain, JP Morgan, they're all choosing Ethereum. And we know what happened with Hinman. We know Vitalik's whole backstory. So I want to ask you, is it a concern for you? On this channel, we believe in ETHgate. We've covered so much information about it that it just appears to be true. So with with ETHgate being basically a matter of fact at this point, does it concern you that relationships might be more important than technology for the short term? Yeah, but Yahoo used to be a king of the hill too. I mean, Yahoo was- I don't remember those days. <laughs> you don't even remember? So yeah, there was this company yeah, called exactly. Yahoo that started a search engine, became a, an internet news portal, and it was massively influential at the time around the year 2000. And they had that first mover advantage of a very large brand, some heavy hitters behind it. So no, my, my biggest beef with ETH, Ethereum, is that it's impractical for a high volume of payments because the transaction fees, the gas fees are just too high. So if I'm a company, I'm going to run payroll for my thousand employees. You think I'm going to pay you $22 a transaction to do that or whatever the gas fee is? So I think it's just impractical for scale for that simple reason alone. Forget about the whole conspiracy ETHgate stuff. It just, it's not the best technology because it doesn't solve that problem efficiently enough of moving money. Johnny Crypto, I got to get your response, but we got 513 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Nice. Smash that like button. We got Molly Elmore in the building, ladies and gentlemen. So we are talking about tokenization and XRP. But Johnny, like I've talked about a million times on this show, the Amazon price chart is a great reference for cryptocurrencies overall. And Molly just said her biggest concern with Ethereum They've got the relationships. They don't have the technology. So it's pretty interesting. They can't scale, but we know that they can plug into networks like Matic. We've talked about that on the show. So what do you think about Molly's statements and the Amazon correlation? Well, you, you know, there's definitely some truth that, you know, yeah, like Yahoo came out and it was king of the hill and then, you know, yeah, Google wiped them out. So it can always happen. There's no doubt about it. I think the difference with Ethereum is it's really connected to some of the biggest players in the world and that the biggest players want it to be here it's going to be here and it will form that underlying layer but remember they'll build other layers on top of it like matic and things to reduce the cost and make it more more efficient so i think eth is going to have a place to play but we all know bitcoin not the best way to move money ETH, not the best way to move money they're all going to play in different areas i think of wherever their their strengths will be and for sure we know that you know xrp and its technology to move money there's nobody, there's, there's, no, there's not too many other technologies that can do it as fast or as efficient. You know, it's all about cheaper, better. At the end of the day, the bottom line of every company, they're looking for cheaper, better, faster solutions. And ultimately in the long run, those are the type of technologies that are going to win at. And that's why here we always talk about what are the best technologies to invest in. We'll think of things that are going to be real world use case solves that are going to be cheaper, better, and faster. And, and then you've, it's a good place to start. If you're new to crypto and wondering where you should invest, then those are the kinds of things you want to look at. Well, Molly, we're going to talk about central bank digital currencies as well later in this episode. But just to put a ribbon on this whole topic, here's just how quickly things can change. BlackRock CEO Larry Fink in 2017, when he was asked, are you developing crypto products? Are you working on the blockchain? His answer speaks for itself. 
furniture building out a cryptocurrency capability? Uh, no. I mean, we're looking at- <laughs> I mean, come on. Someone should have ran him through a script or something. Be better prepared than that, Johnny. So <clears throat> I just thought that was pretty perfect. Oh, Give he me- was prepared. He was prepared. He was giving you exactly the answer that he wanted you to get while he was buying Bitcoin at the same time. Come on. You know how the game is played. You know, like I said, like I said, Yusko told you how it's played. Go watch Jim Cramer in 1999. Again, you were in diapers. He was talking about how when he ran a hedge fund, how they played a game. He literally would call up his friend. They'd call up his friends on the phone and say, hey, I need you to create an article. And he'd go and create a negative article about something, okay? Complete fun. He'd even go and buy a couple option shorts to make it look like, or puts, to make it look they were shorting it, right? To drive the price down so they could buy something or because they were shorting it. Dude, the game is played. It's so corrupt. It's so rigged. That that at the end of the day, <clears throat> if you don't understand how the game is played, you're going to get wrecked. That's why you got to have an exit plan, right? Make sure you 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 get. Make sure when you get in this space, when you start seeing those curves, when you see the next bull run and charts are pumping, if you're not taking profits, look at the, look at those charts, right? At the end of the day, nothing goes straight up like that. Happens. I mean, if you want to hold for thirty years, fine, you're fine, you'll be okay. You know, look at Amazon. You put a bunch of those horses in your stable. 80 to 90% of them are going to go away. They're going to go to zero. And, you know, maybe two or three or 5% of them are going to hit. And that's all you need. If I wasn't an idiot and held my Amazon, I wouldn't even know you guys today. I'd be a multi, multi, multi millionaire, right? But no, nope, sold it all in 1998 like an idiot. But the reality is, this is why you want to, we're in that same kind of whole paradigm shift again with Web3 Technologies. There's going to be opportunities to get into some of these, like this chart right here, very, very early, right? And there's two phases of it. There's a speculation phase. Look in the beginning of that chart between 1997 and 2001 and two. See that little bump there? Well, that went from like a dollar to $125. That was a 120X you could have made on your money. Think about that. 120 times your money, right? And now you need a magnifying glass to find that. Yeah. But then again, you couldn't then get that again until after 2010 before you even got to that same price again. It's a very, very long wait. So you have to understand there's two kind of main things, you know, in place here. You got a speculative phase, and then you've got the real world utility phase for the ones that survive. And and you know, Molly's right. I remember like I think it was Petco or something. It was just monster technology. Oh, yeah, Petco's gonna be great. Gone. Wiped them right up. Didn't make it, right? So that's gonna happen, but that's okay. We know that. Everybody in this channel knows 90% of these things are going away. That's why you pack your bags, you put a bunch of horses in your stable. You make a bunch of bets on real-world use case solves that you think are going to be here. And then you you have an exit plan. You set it. You forget it. And you take out your exit on the way up on some of those price points and put those profits to use for you somewhere else, whether it's in real-world assets, real estate, gold, silver, whatever you feel. Remember, always let your money make more money for you. Thank you so much, Johnny Crypto. Molly and Mario, this is what we're going to talk about next because the ETH ETH gate debate It's been going on for years, but truth is coming to the light. And check out what David Schwartz had to say to the SEC. So the SEC responded to the allegations of a Bitcoin ETF being approved by saying, be careful what you read on the internet. The best source of information about the SEC is the SEC. Well, David Schwartz said, amazing. Does Does the SEC think people selling Ethereum on exchanges are selling securities? I'd like to hear it from the best source. So Molly and Mario, I just wanted some brief comments. This is more funny than serious, but what'd you take away? Let's first look at this SEC tweet. When have you ever seen a government entity be a little bit sassy in a public forum like this? This is almost a troll tweet. And 
I think to it's an indicator that the people controlling the SEC may not be who we think they are. It, do you remember the Radio Shack guy from like months ago who was like the social media intern for Radio Shack and was putting out all these very sassy kind of funny tweets? Yeah. And this is like, did that guy go and work for the SEC now? Because it seems like he's being a little bit amusing here. And David Schwartz is not only, you know, David. I think David Schwartz is a Riddler. And we're now seeing that he's kind of, getting onto this humorous tweet bandwagon. So I think there's a couple dimensions here. There's the actual information that's being shared and then it being brought to our attention that, look, the SEC is being funny and sassy. When would you expect them to do that? Something's different. It's Gary Gensler's alter ego in effect, Molly. He's taken the opportunity to shout back at the cryptocurrency industry. And this is what's so fascinating about the SEC. They're protecting investors. How unbelievable is that? The relationship between the SEC and the retail investor has never been worse yet. They're sitting here allegedly protecting us from people like David Schwartz. And Mario, I just wanted some comments before we move on to something more serious. Yeah, I, I think Molly was was spot on. I really, really enjoy that perspective. And, you know, we're seeing the SEC is, is very uh, hypocritical uh, at this point. I mean, they've been asked so many clear questions and obviously the chairman of the SEC has been asked so many clear questions, which they've refused to respond. And uh, now we're seeing this this uh, hypocritical tweet from their part. And I think that Molly brought up a, a good analogy with with uh, with that tweet from from uh, Radio Shack. I've actually been seeing a lot of those from Blockbuster as well. Like somebody I, I think they're all related. Maybe it's all the same people running these these uh, these tweet uh, X accounts. But yeah. What a time to be alive, Johnny Crypto. Be careful what you read on the internet. And the AI deepfakes are yet to hit the industry. Wait until there's fake SEC videos of Gary Gensler talking. Ripple is the best <laughs> technology. We're only about six, eight months away. Give me some thoughts before we move on. Well, like I said, at the end of the day, Gary, Gary's just a puppet. Gary's being told to do from somebody up above. And he's just playing along with the narrative and going along with it. And yeah, that is hilarious that the SEC has to actually come out and say it. What is that? If you have to come out and say that, something's not right over there. But I, I agree with Swartz. I would love the SEC to come out and tell us what ETH really is. Of course, it's never going to happen because we know we know what happened. They got paid 15 million bananas to be able to say that you know it's sufficiently decentralized, which still nobody in the world has a clue what that means other than Hinman. But again, there's nobody policing the police. And that's the problem. Couldn't say it better myself, Johnny Crypto. And we're going to transition right now into the history of the cryptocurrency market. In 2012, we had a historic bull run. 2016, same thing. 2021, well, here we are. 2024 is setting up to be another historic bull run, Molly. And if we're going to break all-time highs, we're going to need massive amounts of new liquidity. <clears throat> that's what our next topic is about this morning, is Mike Novengratz was another person endorsing a Bitcoin ETF in the USA after Larry Fink's statements. Previously, I believe it was on Monday. The, the, the last day for the SEC to file an appeal on that suit came and went. And so there was some expectation or excitement. And, you know, Queen Telegraph, I believe, uh, put out an Eric report. Uh, you know, we were sitting on our desk thinking, I don't think Queen Telegraph is going to be the person who breaks you know, this story. I think the SEC probably has other, other sources that they want to break a story. Uh, I'm skeptical myself. Um, what it does tell you is the market will head higher on any positive news. Boom. Right. You're going to have 
uh, Invesco Salesforce, BlackRock Salesforce, Kathy Wood Salesforce, Fidelity Salesforce, all out selling Bitcoin. And Bitcoin has always been an instrument that is sold, not bought, right? It's getting people in the first time, explaining them what it is. I think by far the most bullish thing that happened was Larry Fink on TV saying, oh, don't worry about that room where Bitcoin's going up because people see it as a store of value and, and as a flight to quality asset. And Molly, what's so exciting is these people are endorsing crypto, right? But they were the biggest contrarians of the market. Floor is yours. I'd watch out for this flight to quality becoming a talking point because we often see when something goes mainstream very quickly and multiple entities are using the same little catchphrase that that was orchestrated by the highest levels of media management. So keep an eye out for that phrase being repeated. Um, but I think that, first of all, Mike Novogratz is, is a part of the machine that I think is being put in place to communicate a specific narrative at a specific time. I'm curious how his Luna tattoo is doing now and whether or not he continues to show that on TV. <laughs> uh, um, I also think that Gary Gensler, we kind of were just talking about sport. I think he is also a part of the machine. And um, some people think he's kind of dumb. I actually think he's probably very sharp. He's one of the youngest partners in the history of Goldman Sachs, the professor at MIT. Usually you don't get those positions if you aren't very quick on your feet. But I think he's been caught in a position where he has talking points that he must communicate and then what he actually knows to be true. And those contradict, which is why he can't answer any questions because he would lie. He knows that you, you lie in front of Congress, you might get in trouble for that. So this reluctance to answer questions, uh, I, I do have a little bit of, of, well, not really. I pretend I have empathy for him or sympathy for him because he's in this position that, but he signed up for it. So I don't think that the lack of, I don't think that the ambiguity uh, he doesn't have a choice. Like he has to not answer these questions because otherwise he would clearly state that Ethereum Ether is a security based on the laws. They had an IPO, an equivalent, an ICO, uh, and that there's some some people who are behind that who would be in a lot of hot water when that truth actually comes mainstream. And listen to this, Molly, as uh, Kathy Wood actually said the same thing you did. She put out this statement yesterday saying the SEC knows so much and they're so good that I believe this was much more just Gary Gensler standing in the way. I don't know for sure because they could never say something like that. I just know from how we've discussed Bitcoin with them, they really understand it and they really understand the merits most importantly. So if Kathy Wood is emphasizing the point that Gary Gensler is the figurehead standing in the way, he may actually be that. So, Molly, I'd like to get your your opinion Stuart Alderati said last week on CNBC, he's not optimistic about a change in Congress and becoming crypto friendly. Do you think we're going to see Congress have a 180 in their relationship to crypto, especially in 2025 when Gary Gensler is out of the SEC? I think there will never be a friendly relationship with the word crypto. I think that's a throwaway term that's going to probably go down with the fiat world. Like fiat's never going to get a rebranding that it's now considered a good thing, right? These are these sort of labels that will be out with the old. And then a new system will emerge after the current one burns down and it will use words like tokenization and digital assets and internet of value and all of these kind of positive connotations that the, uh, the shift I think will be a narrative shift, but the technology, yes, exactly. Crypto bad, CBDC good which is amusing because I think we kind of already have a CBDC. This idea that we don't is a little short-sighted. Um, so yeah, I think there'll be a narrative shift, but the technology, we're, we're going to put multiple labels on the same stuff. 
Molly, can you elaborate there? You said you think we already have a CBDC. Elaborate on what you mean. There's two kinds of CBDCs, a wholesale CBDC and a retail CBDC. Wholesale CBDC is how banks send money to other banks. That's what the Federal Reserve uh, token is that they issue from the central bank to the commercial banks. Uh, now, in terms of a retail CBDC, that means that that is a money essentially directly issued from the U.S. central bank. We'll use the Fed in, in this example that goes directly to the people. We kind of have that, but it's just done through a couple of steps. Like your your dollar that you use at your bank account is a digital currency. We don't really use cash to the same degree that we used to. Uh, I think that the interesting conspiracy theory fear is a smart contract controlled digital currency where things like your permissions to use your money are 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 flagged for certain things that you don't like you're not a good citizen to comply with the cartel. However, if we had the Fed issue money directly to citizens in the United States, it would cut the commercial banks out of the flow of money. They would have no place. And the commercial banks have a lot of authority over the Fed if you believe it still exists as a separate entity. So why would the commercial banks, the JP Morgans of the world, agree to let the central bank issue currency directly to the people and cut them out of the flow of money? They'd be making themselves obsolete. And I don't think they're that dumb to do that. Now, we might see a tiered system that like kind of looks a little bit different, but still lets the commercial banks have their say. But I think the only thing we as citizens really need to worry about is that we are never told that the CBDC is the only form of money we're allowed to use. As long as you have competition and I can use the digital dollar and I could use Bitcoin and I could use XRP and I could use whatever currency I made up that day to exchange value with my neighbor, as long as we have the opportunity for choice, then if you put a bunch of crappy smart contract stuff into the CBDC, I'll just be like, all right, whatever. I'm just not going to use that to go and buy movie tickets or whatever you're telling me I'm not allowed to buy. So that's the thing I think you need to pay attention to is not really whether or not there will be a CBDC, but that it is not forced to us to be the only currency that we're allowed to exchange value with. Johnny Crypto, Charles Hoskinson was actually tuning in on this exact debate over the weekend. The Cardano creator, Charles Hoskinson, says the game of crypto versus CBDCs is now underway. And it's the most important battle that the cryptocurrency market is dealing with, guys. He outlines the dangers of central bank digital currencies. But this is what Molly just spoke about. And we're going to elaborate on it here. He said the game is crypto versus CBDCs. That's the game. There's social credit and there's CBDCs for 1.2 billion people in China today. It's coming and they're ready to roll it out. They already have a social credit score to decide whether you get on a train or you get your passport. It's very trivial to say, we're going to put that on your money now. And she's talking about the smart contracts. That's what's happening in China right now, Molly. So it's interesting that this technology is even allowed to exist when we know how, I don't, I, it changes what money is. Money's not money anymore when it, when it has smart contracts tied to it. So Johnny Crypto, comment, and then I'll continue. You better believe it that this is probably one of the most uh, biggest attacks on freedom, humanity and freedom. I mean, at the end of the day, if your money is controlled and you can't do what you want with it, think about that fundamental shift of how the world operates today. Go tell an American they can't do what they want with their money. You know, that's going to be a very, very interesting day. But it, it's 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 a very real threat. Why do you think this? Why, why do you think we've been saying this for a year or two? Because you're going to continue to hear this for exactly the reason of what Molly said. They're going to keep telling you crypto is bad because they know it's an alternative. They don't want an alternative. The best way to control people, have a CBDC. And they're going to tell you, oh, no, no, don't worry. It's privacy. We're not going to live. You know, we're not. But that's not how it will start that way. Just the way when they created the Federal Reserve in Jekyll Island, 
And they tell you, oh, no, 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 it's only for just a small few, small bottom of elite people. And now the whole world is taxed by it, right? The same thing is going to happen. Slippery slope. They'll start it with, oh, yeah, no control. And, oh, by the way, Molly's right. They're not getting rid of the commercial banks. No freaking way. They're going to say, oh, no, no, CBDC, but it's still going to go through the commercial banks. So the central banks can't see what you're doing. You have your privacy. They'll feed it through the commercial banks, but it's still a CBDC. And it's still going to have the, the smart contract capability. And it's always going to be a threat. So you better all pray. You better all pray that gold, silver, fiat, and some other form of crypto don't go away. Because when it does, it's game over at that point. You better all pray. So I, my, all my friends say they keep using their cash for that reason. They won't go to a place. They'll go to places. Oh, we don't accept cash. They'll walk right out. All right. You don't take cash? Fine. We'll go someplace else. People better keep using cash. Because if they stop using it, Molly's right. It gets to be a very, very scary world when there's no other options out there. I do want to chime in about the situation in China with CBDC. I think there's been a propaganda effort to make us more scared of that than we should be. So the system in China has not been widely adopted and it is not managed by the CCP. You have to think about how complicated a technology system is that in real time connects all the social media platforms to the money system, to the quote health system, a database that scores a billion citizens in real time about all the stuff that they're doing, that would be one of the greatest technology feats in the history of technology. Do you remember when the U.S. government launched Obamacare? Like, what a mess that was. Like, the U.S. government is not great at technology. So the idea that they are going to issue this extremely advanced platform where all of the money is managed in real time with whatever I post on Twitter or x.com or whatever I um, whatever health thing I have or have not had done, I don't think that they're going to be able to pull that off. So I think they're trying to scare us into accepting concessions because whatever they want to put in place would be not as bad as the like dystopian CBDC system. So be careful about getting played and conceding to something that you still don't want because it's not as bad as the worst case dystopian CBDC scenario but i don't even think they could pull off it's Mar- and, and i would think too molly that they're pro- it's got to be some form of test they're probably testing to see how many people you know how hard is it to execute how many people are willing to go along with it and of course in china it's a different you know i don't know if you guys have been to china i've been there plenty of times for work i can tell you that the mentality of the chinese is very different than the mentality of americans i mean when they're told to do something let me tell you something they do it you say jump they just say how high right America completely different. So it is not going to be as simple to implement a system like that here in America. I can tell you that right now. There's going to be tons of pushback. But I do believe in China apps. This is a test. They are looking to see, you know, how how can we do it? How complicated is it? And will people comply? And, and you know, there's probably a good chunk of it that will. But again, here, I think that's going to be what Molly said is you'll see more of a softer mellowed version of it and you know how they're going to get people to do it they'll do it with ubi like hey you want free money you got to take it in this form the only way you get it is through a cbdc and there will be tons of people in america unfortunately that will line up and say hey great give me my free money because they're knuckleheads and they don't understand there is no such thing of free money there's a price to be paid and in this case not only is it inflation it's also potentially your freedom pretty scary but that's probably how they'll try it if i had a guess Molly, we got to move on to some XRP content to close out the show. But there is one comment that tied into what Johnny said. He said, uh, Charles Hoskinson said, it's the dream of every deposit. It's 
in real time for about the seventh of the entire world. Sorry, he's talking about China there. And it's going to come to Europe and America soon. So what he's addressing is this technology exists. It used to be about conspiracies, the development. It exists. It's being implemented. Like Molly said, it's probably a media campaign to make us more fearful than it really is. But it's an emerging technology that I think our listeners should be aware of. So any closing statements here, Molly? Do you think it's going to be harder to implement this technology in the Europe and the USA? I mean, this is a perfect example of a propaganda statement, in my opinion. He is saying something as if it is a fact. It is going to come to Europe and America. That's not necessarily true. But if you convince everybody that it is inevitable, the resistance goes down and people will concede and accept it because you're like, well, you told me I didn't have a choice. I'm telling you today, you have lots of choices. One, you can believe that our future is going to be beautiful and bright and glorious and abundant, and we're going to have all these opportunities and the sort of corrupt government institutions are going to fall. You can choose to believe that, or you can believe what Charles Hoskinson is telling you and that there's no point in fighting against a despot controlled money system um, in an effort to get you to concede and roll over. So I'm not really going to concede on any of these things, and I'm not going to believe any of the propaganda because we know that these talking heads are paid to say specific narratives and they have really little to do with truth. Guys, we got 501 live listeners joining us. Show us some love, smash that like button. Thank you again, Molly, for making time for us this morning. We are going to start talking about the XRP price chart, but first I'm going to ask our listeners a chat in the uh, question in the live chat. I mean, when we had waters above on the show, he anticipated that next year in the first half of 2024, XRP is going to be breaking that $1.90 price. That's the question I have for our listeners. Put a one in the live chat if you think at any point during 2024, we break $1.90. Put a two if you think we stay below that level. But Molly, this is what I wanted to talk about for the remainder of the show. XRP, there's there's so much that we can talk about from a perspective of price, tokenization, on-demand liquidity, banking relationships. Let's talk about the price to close out the episode. What do you take away from all the narratives that are going on today? Our live chat, everyone believes we are going to have a bullish 2024. Before I ask you anything specific, or do you share that mindset? 2024, a bullish year for cryptocurrencies, including XRP. So I think we're going to talk about XRP specifically, that the real increase in value happens after the virtuous cycle kicks in, which means there's real utility adoption and store of value adoption for XRP. We've not seen any of that yet. So the price charts we're looking at now are really just speculative and traders, to be honest, who are trying to get some hype and make a quick buck moving value around. I love to, now I'm a statistician. I had a long career in data analysis. I kind of look at the TA stuff for crypto as like tarot cards. Like you're looking to try to see if there's, the stars are aligned for some kind of price increase today. Uh, Because these are going to, what's happening here is really being driven by narrative, which is being controlled. So if you're inside the media machine and you know what news is going to be released, then you can be a great trader because you'll be able to profit off of the news. But I don't think the real changes in value are going to happen until mainstream adoption uh, for utility happens, which that's it's not going to happen randomly. Like there's some kind of event I think that we are waiting for that's going to predicate the flip the switch type of thing. Hey, Molly, let me ask you a question on that, because I've been saying a similar thing that the real value comes when you get to utility. And the question everybody asks is, okay, when's that utility going to come in? Like, look at the Amazon price, right? Utility, it it came in, but it took a long time to see a full appreciation all the way up to 3300. And that charge, not even fully there. What do you think is the time? And you can see it kind of went sideways for a long time before we finally took off. 
What do you think is the utility time frame before, I don't know, 80% of the world, let's say, or 80% of whoever is going to use XRP or get adopted will happen? Yeah, like David Schwartz just said that in the clip that we looked at earlier, Year which is half. when the banks start to settle their transactions using digital assets. Uh, I think Bob Way was some maybe who said a while ago that once you get three major banks, that's mm. it. It's the tipping point. So that's what I think. Now, when will that happen? I have no idea. But mm. once three major banks, big banks are using digital assets to settle transactions, and everybody else is going to be left behind if they don't get on. And that's when I think we see a major change. Yeah. And that and that's very concerning. I remember when we were developing wireless technology apps back in the 2000s and we were trying to figure out what's going to be Bluetooth or what's going to be all these other different technology. Once Apple and uh, I forgot the other two companies, one of the companies said, we're going, we're going Bluetooth. That's it. It was game over. And it's very similar to that same concept. I think mm -hmm. once we see two or three banks it's game over everybody's gonna be like all right we gotta go that way because that's the that's the chosen one right so we just have to wait to see which way although the scary thing is we know jp morgan has a big big say in the way things operate and and they're going the angst path so be very very interesting to see what happens there it reminds me a lot of email so if you're old enough to have worked before email was like the thing people were kind of skeptical am i really going to send a confidential document through mm -hmm. email but then there was a tipping point where I used to live in Manhattan and there was this whole bike messenger industry where bike bicyclists would move documents around New York, like at a pretty big scale. And then email came and that entire industry was wiped out and the paradigm shift happened. I think we're going to see something very similar here that the old way will just become like a fax machine and people will mm -hmm. laugh at it uh, one day pretty soon. Johnny, and that's what I love what Molly had to say about Bob Way. Once we get three financial firms using this technology, Everybody else is at a disadvantage, and we're going to close out this show pretty recently, guys, but Molly brought it up. We're going to show you a very important video out of David Schwartz explaining how finance will use XRP in some fashion. So no one is settling on a digital asset at scale today. Uh, what's going on at scale today is the messaging part that's able to settle on a digital asset when the liquidity is there. Um, whether or not the, my, What's happening on the digital exchanges right now is there are really only two participants. There's market makers and there's speculators. And that's part of what I think is making the market so unhealthy. Uh, the market makers are deathly afraid that speculators are gonna see a price go up on one exchange and beat them by a millisecond and sort of you know, may make them take a loss and vice versa. What we're trying to do with XRapid is bring to the exchanges market takers, people looking for liquidity who don't care what crypto prices are doing. The thesis is that if we do that, Market makers will make more money because they won't be there won't be people trying to force them to you know take a buy when the price is dropping and vice versa. And they'll respond, if I see you making a lot of money, I'll make just a little bit less money and someone else will make less money still. So we think that bringing in like real demand for payments will bring the spreads down and bring the offer volumes up. XRapid will see if we're right about that. But you're absolutely right that there has to be more liquidity. The volatility problem is solved by by the speed. The next question is can we solve the liquidity problem? And I think. Um, as X rapid scales up, we'll see whether this just brings more liquidity or in the, in the negative scenario, do we just use up all the liquidity and then the market just dies? I don't think that'll happen. I think what market makers are looking for is people to, to take the liquidity. So, so David is so smart. He, he talks so fast there, Molly, but I do want to hear, what did you take away from that clip broadly overall before we close it out here? I think that we're in this kind of purgatory waiting phase where everything is set up but we're just waiting for them to start using it. And there's this, you know, impatience from many of us and myself included, because we know it could happen at any day, but there's something holding the gate 
from opening and we don't really know what that's going to be, but get ready. Cause once the gate opens, the flood's going to start. So Molly, typically we, these shows are an hour long, but when we have special guests, we go as long as you would like. So we got a couple more topics. I'm not going to take your whole day, but there is a couple of things I want to address, but Johnny, two more topics for the end of the episode before we move on. What's on your mind? Well, I think first of all, like you literally heard David say we are in the speculative stage. There's literally just retailers playing, playing the game right now. And the question is, when is that real adoption going to come in? Now, we talked about yesterday, Roblox coming out and introducing XRP as a buying opportunity. That's an example of adoption that we want to see happening. The more we see things like that happening, the more you're now creating demand for the technology that's not speculative in nature. And that's going to help also, you know, I think kind of get to what he was describing is we want to get it to where it's just people needing liquidity of the product and not buying and selling it just for a gain and loss, which is where we are today, Abs. And that's what I was talking about. You know, we, we're in the speculative phase. How soon before we get to the real adoption phase? And I know people are dying to hear what Molly thinks the XRP price will be when we get to that utility phase. Everybody's asking, so I assume, Abs, we're going to get to that question and hear what Molly We're doing it right now, Molly. You're on the hot seat, I guess, this morning. Yeah. On morning. Sorry, Molly. Everybody's asking <laughs> in the chat. So what's your opinion? I don't think we're going to have one price with a caveat. So if you were just to allow the virtuous cycle to kick in and you have this basically competing force between wanting the asset to for utility to make payments, essentially, and wanting the asset for a store of value, when those forces compete, like it, there's an infinite place it could go to. Now, there is, though, the thesis that Jimmy Valley had a long time ago, which is that the banks would not have gotten agreed to participate in this marketplace and hold this asset if there wasn't going to be some kind of price stability so that they could use it to maybe take out loans or that type of a thing. And so that there is still this distinct possibility that the banking system has agreed on a price that they will somehow manage. There's a bunch of mechanisms that would be possible for that. So I do think, though, that if there was that agreed upon price, it would be very high, upwards of $10,000 a token, which at at that point, for many of us, like it doesn't really matter if it's ten thousand a token or twenty thousand a token. Like I'll be doing lots of really fun, fun, cool stuff at that point. Like buying an island, the helicopter should be helicopter. I need a plane. Plane is high on my list. Definitely, Molly. So for a lot of people, they have this this uh, I guess like mental block where they say, "Why would they allow a publicly traded currency to increase that much in price?" Like, and I know the answer to this, but I think it's worth addressing on the show. Why do you think that they would need to make XRP that that set high price of $10,000? And then I have a follow-up. Because we're talking about quadrillions, if not higher amounts of value. If you think about a world where everything is tokenized, all the gold, all the real estate, all the oil, even like our labor of sorts, like, you know, I could tokenize my time. Um, there's There's way more value than you might realize. So if you only had 100 billion tokens and you had like, hundred quadrillion dollars worth of value, the XRP token has to be high enough that it could move that much value and store that much value for that to be even possible. Abs, that goes back. She literally, Molly described the, the discussion you know we had with Quincy, right? Where to be able to use the currency for something, it's going to be based off whatever that daily trade volume is. So if that trade volume is in the trillions or quadrillions, then the market cap of that that technology living using it has to be able to support whatever that is. So um, the question is how big can ripple get, or I should say 
how can they get their technology out there adopted by as many things as possible? So they're using it and creating this large demand volume for XRP to be able to support all those things. Well, it's derivatives market or cross-border payments or tokenization. You start adding all those things up, you can get to a very big number. Now, I personally don't think XRP is going to get 100% of that. But let's say they get 10% of that market or 20% of 10. This is why they, this is why they want the CBDCs tokenized on their blockchain this is what the fight is about Bingo. because that value is on that blockchain think about it right molly that's right there's all this value is going to be there they know it they know the whole entire world if you add up all the quadrants we have is going to be tokenized and everybody's fighting for it right now and that's why hawkinson to some degree was right abs when he said there's an ultimate battle right now between crypto and cbdc's because there's too much at stake there's a monster pile of money at stake here. And the question is, who's going to get it? And I don't think it's going to be anyone. There's there's a big enough pie that everybody can be happy here and get it. Unfortunately, the elites who run the world, they're on the CBDC side. So there's going to be a good chunk of it that's going to go that way, in my opinion. But the question is, how much of the crumbs will they allow to go elsewhere? And if those crumbs are big enough, then XRP can have a, you know can have a really healthy price. We'll have to wait and see. Only time will tell. So Molly, one of the biggest conversations going on right now is Ripple's currently working with thirty plus central banks on developing a central bank digital currency, and we've seen them publicly announce. I believe it was eight. I I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it's eight, but there are private blockchains being developed right now in the background, and that's thirty plus central banks. You said something important earlier in the episode. If we get three banks using this technology. Everyone else is at a disadvantage. So I'm, I'm not sure if you already answered this, but I'd like to get a, a solid date or solid response. How far away are we? Even if it's five years, even if it's 10 years, how far away are we from central bank digital currencies becoming mainstream from your perspective? I think when you pay taxes in a CBDC and people are getting their paycheck in CBDC, those are the two things that money is really used for the most. Uh, so the, obviously the government paid taxes thing is now, if I'm also a store and I have to collect, pay my sales tax in CBDC, you're going to really force the market to evolve. If there are going to be bills you have to pay in CBDC, uh, when will that happen? I mean, it's kind of up to the government probably tying in with regulation. They're going to endorse digital assets and say, here are the rules. And also we want you to now pay your taxes in the digital dollar. I see. I think there's going to be a flip the switch type of experience for stuff like that, where all of a sudden now, because you can't really have two dollars in the marketplace at the mm. same time, the fiat and a CBDC. So you've got to get the old one out and adopt, uh, push the new one out. I think, as you mentioned before, there's probably going to be a universal basic income incentive to get people to use the new money. Here's a bunch of free money that you can buy food and groceries and make your car payment with. It's going to be hard for a lot of people to say no to that. And that's going to spur the adoption, I think, of the CBDCs. Well, Molly, we always say 90% of the money that comes into this market exits on the back end. And that's why we created Merlin, which is the smartest way to track your crypto. This application, it ties everything into one wallet. You can track your ledger, your Coinbase, your Uphold, brings them all into one location, and you can create an exit plan so you know when to take profit. Even just looking at the XRP price chart, this historic bull run right here, this was only about a month and a half. When XRP went from 25 cents to about $4 or $3 up here. This took place in a matter of weeks. And the people who profited most 
were the ones who sold on the way up and bought during the bear market. And that's what we're trying to tell our listeners to do here. So you guys check it out. Merlin, uh, sorry, Merlin, the smartest way to track your crypto. That is www.merlincrypto.com. You get 30 days absolutely free. Go in, create an exit plan and give us feedback. But Molly, I'd like to close out the show by reminding our listeners, where can they find more of your content and uh, remind them of your Twitter handle as well. Sure. So I do post a bit on Twitter at Molly Elmore 22. Be aware of a bunch of fake accounts pretending to be me. I will never try to send you or sell you a scammy trading course in DMs. So if that happens, it's definitely not me. Um, also do quite a bit of content via our ValHillAdvisors.com website. So there's our podcasts and newsletters and that kind of stuff. So go check that out. Um, that's pretty much it. Thank you so much, Molly. And I'm not sure, do you have a YouTube channel that you post on frequently? I watch some of your videos, but are you still up to date with the YouTube? I do. I haven't been doing as many videos on that lately, but yes, I, it's under Molly Helmore, Clever Hummingbird. And we also have a, Val Hill has a podcast called Escape Velocity on nice. YouTube as well. Awesome, guys. So you heard it here. That's where you can find all of Molly's content. And I want to say thank you to each one of our special guests. Thank you to Mario. Thank you to Johnny. And thank you to our special guest, Molly, this morning. we got 487 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We'll see you guys in 23 hours. Like we always say, Warriors, ah, get your shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us. Woo, you. Let's go. <laughs>